This is the Education Business Podcast for consultants and business owners providing services in schools. I'm Claire Riley, and I'll be sharing how to start, grow, and scale your education business. So today we're going to be talking about the team you need around you to grow your education business. So before you start protesting that you don't need one, if you don't have one already, let me just share a little story about me and what happened. So I have a big team now. There's 55 of us at the moment. And when I started out Classroom Secrets in 2013, I was alone. I did everything. Now, obviously, I I had Ed and... I know a lot of you will know that I started the company with my husband, Ed, who is now the CTO, but I did 95% of everything because he had a full-time job and the business was my baby. And, you know, that's why I'm the CEO and leader of the company now. I'm the one who sets the vision. So he changed things in the back end at my request and he'd also worry about some of the more technical overarching things. And he would help out with customer service, maybe on a weekend uh, or in the evenings. But honestly, I was pretty much alone when it came to the spread of tasks. And I waited two years to get help. And that was way too long. And I just felt guilty all of the time for not being able to fulfill everyone's resource requests when they started coming through. And I didn't focus on the marketing um, that, I, like I should have because I was just too into being the laborer and making the product because... If I'm honest, this is what I really loved doing at the time. But I could also say that it was to bury my head in the sand. And that's what I like to do. So, you know, at this time, I would respond to the customer requests and the problems. And I'd create resources. Then I'd upload the resources and I'd post on Facebook about them. And then once I'd received the payment, I'd do the accounts as well. So I'm sure it's a story that you can relate to in some shape or form. So in terms of the money coming in the company at the time, well, I just let the money build up in the company. And I'm not saying that I was minted or anything, but I didn't do anything with the money that came in. And it got to the point where there was at least one person's salary in there in the bank account. But Ed had a wage that could support us, so I just left the money in. I didn't spend it. I didn't take it out and I even tutored and did supply work and had that paid into the company as well to build up the reserves but the big mistake that I made was that I didn't invest it and by invest it I don't mean in stocks and shares I mean I didn't invest it in staff to grow my business more quickly and more efficiently so two years in I decided that it was time to get help creating certain resources And, you know, I I couldn't cope really with the stress and the perceived demand on me from my growing customer base. And I could afford it, but I was scared. And you know what? I had reason to be scared. And and if you're in that situation now, you've got good reasons to be scared, especially if you're listening to the people around you. So sometimes the people around us are pretty unhelpful, even though they are meaning to be very helpful. So one person in my life suggested that I was just getting help so I didn't have to do the work myself. (laughs) Yeah, it it made me feel pretty worthless if I'm honest Um, because when I did get staff, it actually just increased my workload but that's for another day. But I wondered what I was doing it all for because it certainly wasn't to get paid. 
Now, the thing is, I did have this relentless obsession with building something, and I've still probably got that relentless obsession now, although I have managed to tame it. And at the time, I knew so much less about myself and about other people's issues, and I didn't really look deep enough to realise that that comment was about that person's issues and not about my own issues, so I held on to that. I held on to that so tightly. And in truth, I didn't really know how much money I needed to get a team or even just one person. And I wasn't listening to the right people. I was listening to the risk-averse, well-meaning family members suggesting that maybe I needed at least a year's salary in the bank per person. But what I should have done is listen to experienced business people who would have told me just to do it anyway and give it a try and that the worst thing that could happen wouldn't even be that bad. So it's been really interesting to reflect back on this time in detail. And I I really hope that these reflections both resonate with you and teach you some important lessons. You know, another of my limiting beliefs at that time was that if I did get a team, I wasn't sure how successfully I could actually make them successful. And I suppose in the beginning, you know, my beliefs came true. And because I'd still not taken any money for myself for all the work that I'd put in over the last two years, I was worried that I'd spend it all on people who couldn't do the job as well as me or as fast as me, and then I'd be left with nothing after I'd let these people run it into the ground. And it sounds so harsh to hear me saying those things, but if we're honest, that's that's how we feel about things deep down because we're talking about a baby our baby, the business that we started. And we're really precious about that. And we're worried about what will happen if we're not in control. So I used freelancers because I didn't want to commit. I didn't want to commit to them financially or in building team members with knowledge because I had no idea how valuable that actually is. So I had some freelancers even on about 20 hours a week. And by mid-2015, I had about 20 freelancers, which I do not recommend because they were all doing the same job, really. And it was a complete nightmare to manage. I did it all through email and I didn't put any time in to train them. So I just felt overwhelmed with having them all and trying to get them on the same track, but on an individual basis. It would have been so much more helpful if I'd have introduced them to each other so they could help each other. But as you've probably realized, fear was this massive thing for me. And one of the reasons why I didn't was, what if they stole my idea and then they set up on their own? Was I giving them my secrets when I'd worked so hard and I'd still not seen the benefits of that for myself? So it took me a long time to realize that this road that I'm on and that you're on is really hard. (laughs) It's really hard and you never teach any one person everything anyway and you're also always learning and changing your ideas and thoughts and the ways where you do things and this is not a journey that many people can make. You know, many people are not capable of making it not because of the skills but because of the mindset and when I realized that it helped me to see that I don't need to protect myself from everyone all the time. So... I know that I'm going really deep here um, in this story into my early struggles. So thank you for allowing me that time to share the story. And But know that I'll always be honest with you. You know, getting a team in the beginning, I did not handle that well. 
But here's what I want to share based on those learnings and scaling a team over the last six years. So at this point, you might tell me that you don't need a team. But what I want to say to you is that you are the team. So if you think about big companies, you know, what departments do they have? They've often got marketing and sales and production and HR and customer service. They might even have other teams like projects and research and loads of things that you can mention, IT. So what I want you to do is look at all the tasks that you do and then categorize them into these departments because it will help you see what tech team members you could need to help you grow. So if you can only get one team member to help you in the beginning, you know, what kind of role would make the biggest impact? Is it that you're doing loads and loads of marketing and that role would help? Is it that you're doing loads and loads of production and that role would help? So to follow on from this, think about as well what you enjoy doing and what only you can do. So if you're a consultant, obviously you're going to have to deliver the content, but do you need to create all the social media posts or do you need to email all the clients? So it's really useful activity to take some time and log everything that you're doing to help you identify what can actually be passed on. So another important point that I want to raise is that, you know, this team member doesn't have to be full time. So having a full time member of staff that could put a lot of entrepreneurs off because that is a lot of money to shell out, especially if you feel underpaid yourself. And if you listen to the advice that I was told where, oh, I think you need at least a year's salary in the bank. So it's also hard to grow to the point of affording an extra person when you're on your own. So now I like to have a couple of months salary in the bank account just to give it a chance to work. But you don't have to have that. You could do it with much less. And, you know, if I wasn't in the position that I'm in, I would do it with much less now that I've got more experience in making that work out much quicker. And many people do this successfully. So when Lee, my head of research and development, interviewed for his first role at Classroom Secrets as a proofreader, it was about three years ago now, he said that he looked at company's house and he asked in his interview how on earth we would afford him. Uh, this was probably an indication at the time that he would then create himself a role in research. But it, it was a great question and I was really honest with him. And I told him that, in my experience, that if he was here doing a great job, then that would bring in enough money to cover his role and a bit more. And he took that as if, if I work really hard, I can help grow the team. And you know what he did? And I think, you know, stories like this really make me tear up. And I love to share them. And I love that they actually happened. And it's a good job that <laughs> this is a recording because, you know, the crying can be edited out. So another thing that I think is important to think about is the amount of hours. So it's important to give a decent amount of hours to it. So when I first employed staff, this is after the freelancers, I started employing staff. Oh, I was so scared. And I think I only employed staff really because I was going through the IVF process and I was thinking about what might happen if I did actually get pregnant. Um, so I was so scared that I employed people for four hours a week I mean what can you actually do in four hours a week but I was so worried about all the extra costs and I thought that once I employed somebody that was it um they were employed with me forever and there was nothing I could do about it if it wasn't working out I just I didn't understand the basics of HR really which I recommend 
doing a little bit of reading before you play first person. Um, but I didn't really think about either how long things took me to make the decision on how many hours I would employ someone for. It was all based on on fear and this perceived loss of money. I wasn't seeing it as an investment. I was seeing it as losing money. And that's not the right right place to approach it from at all. So another thing to consider is whether you're going to outsource or whether you're going to bring people in-house. So this, it might be just one person at the moment, this team that we're talking about. So as I've said before, I used freelancers, but this was out of fear. So it's not that I don't recommend using freelancers. I don't really have freelancers in my business now, but it is a good way to start working with people because if they are their own boss, then you're not committing to them in the same way and you know you don't have to manage them in the same way but for me it was a bit like having employees because they'd not done it before so they were only freelance because I'd I'd advertised that it was a self-employed role because I was too afraid to commit to them and I wasn't really clear on what the extra costs would be but I didn't really train them I just sent them examples and then hoped for the best which I don't recommend doing either it was it was not a good journey for me but I'm so grateful that I made all those mistakes because it means that I can share that with you now. So the other thing that I could have done instead of getting loads and loads of freelancers is that I could have got just one or two people in the company rather than having loads and loads and invested into them in terms of skills so that they became really valuable to the company. And that's something that I understand now that I didn't understand then. Whereas if it's a skill where they're already trained, like a graphic designer or somebody to help with admin, that's great because they already know what they're doing and you're not going to have to train them up. And that's a great reason to use a freelancer because they know more than you and that's what you need to help you grow. So if you are really seriously thinking about growing a team, even if it's that first person, even if it's only going to be for 10 hours a week, I do really recommend starting to create video training before you even advertise So this actually does take quite a bit of time and it's helpful to do it as you are doing that task. So say if a task takes you three hours, if you allow four and a half hours to make sure that you um, talk it through as you're doing it and you video what you're doing, you can create really useful training. So it will really help, you know, this person, whether they're freelancer or in-house, get up to speed more quickly. It takes a lot of effort to fill somebody's time productively when they start with you. You know, they could be doing 10 hours and 10 hours is a long time to fill if you haven't got anything in place already. And it's really easy to underestimate the time invested needed to set them up for success because that is your job to set them up for success. And as much as they have to sort of toe the line as well, it is your responsibility to give them all the tools that they need and you might not really consider what they are in in the first place. So if you did do the exercise then that I suggested at the beginning where you categorize your tasks to work out what departments you need to get help with, then hopefully you'll now have an idea of what you need in your business. So I'm guessing that you've realized that sales and marketing are an absolute must. So there's no point in having your product if you are not going to consistently be doing this. So you need people to buy it, obviously, in order to be able to continue doing the other parts and maybe the parts that you love more. 
you know, if you're in the same situation that I was. But sales and marketing is something that we tend to hold on to actually as entrepreneurs once we've figured it out because maybe it was hard for us and we think that we can't teach it to people and a lot of it is probably based on some kind of personal brand and we worry that other people won't be able to do it in the same way that we can but we can teach people and it can really save you time but it'll also allow you to scale those activities if it doesn't just rely on you. So admin help then in the form of a VA is important too and it might be that you've identified that as an area. So I don't want you to take this as a case of me advising you which comes first. It's about being clear on what you can teach someone to do, what you can afford and what you feel that your business needs more of to grow because every business is different. So it could be that having more time to deliver one-to-one sessions is what you need in your business in order to grow the revenue. And the reason that you can't deliver more is because you spend three hours a week writing social media posts. So this would be an indicator to me that this is a great area to get help in. Or maybe you're spending all weekend invoicing your clients and then doing the bookkeeping and you're absolutely exhausted. So then you know that you need a bookkeeper and someone to sort of sort out your invoices. So it's all in the process of stepping back and taking a good look at what's actually going on in your business. And as a quick caveat, I just want to say, you know, if you are going to be employing people, then you are going to need HR help. And this can be outsourced. You don't have to be employing a HR manager, you know, just now. But this was one of my biggest nightmares. And, you know, there's no HR and management course that you're enrolled on automatically when you sort of be a limited company. There probably should be, but there isn't. So if you are going to be going down the road of employing people, then HR is something that you need in your life and you can get, you can buy packages from HR specialists and I would recommend that. So I know there's so much to digest here, but if you're serious about growing your business in education, then know that long-term you're not going to be able to do it alone. You don't have to grow a massive team, but you are going to need help. So get help in your team. It's not as scary as you might think. And if this has been helpful, then please sign up to get my weekly email where I share more tips to help you grow your education business and also the UK education news. And I use this news with my team at Classroom Secrets to make great decisions for growth. And I use it for the Education Business Club as well. So you'll find the link in the show notes, but it's educationbusinessclub.co.uk. Thank you for listening to the Education Business Podcast. To get more information to grow your business, sign up at educationbusinessclub.co.uk. 